Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Fortales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fortales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Today I'm joined by my friend Christopher Glenn. has a fantastic story to tell. He's the founder of Bottle Share, and we're going to talk about all things beer, nonprofits, uh, and his passions in life. Christopher, why don't you say hello and give a little bit of backstory? Hello, uh, my name is Christopher Glenn. I am the founder and executive director of Bottle Share. That is the craft beverage industry's very first fundraising and fund distribution 501c3 nonprofit organization and we have an absolute blast doing what we're doing uh we we raise funds to give them away and we do that through the collective art of brewing beer Uh, we travel around the country we collaborate with breweries around the country and then those special release one-off beers the sales and the proceeds from that beer go back to bottle share so that we can continue writing checks to people and families that are in need That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, full disclosure, uh, Vigor and Christopher, we worked on uplifting that brand, helping him get some things together. Uh, we did some label designs for some of the collabs. It was a lot of fun, but I think even more important, it was great to um, help people and just help people that were in need. Um, so I think it's easy to say, oh yeah, people are in need, so I should start a thing. But that's not exactly why you started Bottle Share. So could you take the time to lay out how it happened? What was the inspiration? For for lack of a better term. Yeah, the the inspiration comes in the form of a fully loaded Chevy Silverado traveling at 65 miles an hour. Um uh April no, not April. Let's see, January sixth of two thousand and eighteen, I was uh, working real estate, and I was the bar manager, bar manager for Dry County Brewing Company in Kennesaw, Georgia. Uh, after I had closed up one night, um, let's see, it was it was pretty late. It was probably about 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. I had closed up. I was super tired. I was very hungry. I didn't get the opportunity to eat. And so there was one place that was still open that, that served food. So I went in a place in order to go. I picked up my wings. I was on my way home. I got off the exit, um, you know, took the highway to my exit, exit 792. And as I was sitting at the, the red light to turn left to go back over the, the highway, uh, a gentleman had passed out at the wheel on the highway and came flying up the off-ramp and crushed me. Uh, no brake, no squeal of the brake or the tires, no honking of the horn, none of that. It was just very abrupt. And in one second, I was just sitting there chilling. The next second I woke up and, and I had absolutely no idea what, what had happened. It felt like a bomb had gone off in the Jeep. Um, I couldn't tell up from down. I couldn't tell left from right. I was very... It was very. It was a very jarring 
experience. It, the word jarring is the closest thing that 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 I can find to come to the feeling, to come to that sensation that you experience, uh, but it's just not strong enough. There's not a word out there that describes uh, the the feeling of of what, like I said, what felt like a bomb going off in the Jeep. Um, I actually wound up suffering from uh, a, a plethora of, of injuries. One included was atrophy of my brain. So the concussion, when your brain swells and you have the concussion, um, that typically happens. And then the brain comes back down after a while. Now, my brain had actually come down even further than it was prior to the accident in three regions. So memory, speech, and uh, back to memory, I forgot what the third one was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, three, three regions, speech, memory, and something else that I can't remember. Uh, how ironic. Anyway, um, I was, man, I was, I was, I was hurting I, for quite some time. I was, I was, I was out of it. I was, uh, I was bedridden. Uh, I, I was, it was about, it was about six to nine months of in and out of, uh, self-awareness, uh, panic attacks, um, you know, not, not really knowing exactly what was going on or, or, or why it was happening. I, I could look in the mirror sometimes and not recognize myself. That was really scary. Uh, you know, that feeling when you, when you wake up sometimes and you're like, where am I? And then mm -hmm. a split second later, you're okay. I'm in my room, you know, spatially you're aware and recognize everything that's around you. Uh, well, I wouldn't, uh, I, I lost that for quite some time. So I would wake up and I wouldn't know where I was or who I was for 10 minutes, Oof. you know, and, and it would, it would, if nobody was there to help get me through those couple of moments, uh, then it was even worse. And mainly because I didn't know, whose home it was I was in, uh, and it was actually my own. Mm -hmm. uh, that lasted almost a year, and then the Georgia Craft Brewers Association had partnered with Lyft, the rideshare company, to offer discounted codes for people that were uh, that had a little too much to drink at, at all of our local breweries, our independent breweries here in the state of Georgia. And Trey Sinclair, the owner of Dry County Brewing Company, the, the, the company that I worked for, uh, came up with a cool idea to record a video for the release of the partnership. And that video actually wound up kind of, you know, going mildly viral within the craft brewing community. A lot of people had seen it. And uh, people started reaching out and saying, you know, we knew you were in a car accident, but we didn't know how bad it was. Because mm. in the video, it, I was still tremoring really hard. I was having trouble with my memory, with my speech. Uh, you could definitely tell that something was wrong with me. So several people contacted me and said, hey, what can we do? And the the version of bottle share was born from that. Uh, the whole the whole idea of giving back, the whole idea of fundraising for people in need. Because let's be honest, a lot of these guys are overworked, underpaid. They do it because it's a passion project, not because they're going to make millions. Um, and in return, they sacrifice a lot of things to do what they want to do with their lives. And some of those things are healthcare. Some of them are four hundred one k. And insurance benefits, uh, all, all of those things that 
that you would have at your regular job, you don't really technically, they can't afford to offer you those things. There's small mom and pop, you know, uh, uh, breweries uh, owned by these these young people that decided that's what they wanted to do. But anyway, uh, there's no resource. There's no safety net. And so we we sat down, we came up, we, we developed a business plan after some time and decided that the, the funds that people wanted to raise for me would go into this pot so that I could uh, take those funds and give it to somebody else that was in need as well. Uh, the reason being is because I was in a very unique situation. My family took me in. They took care of my finances. They gave me a place to live. Uh, they, they kept me fed. So I, all of my basic uh, necessities were met when there was a lot of other people out there that were suffering that didn't have the optimal environment to heal in which I was provided. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the inspiration to start writing these checks. Yeah. It's a, it's a hell of a story. I mean, every time you tell it, it's, uh, it regrounds me, gives me more perspective on life because there you are about to come home after a long day's work, snacky snack on some tasty wings, yeah, snacky snack, you know, and then your, your whole life is thrust into what probably feels like oblivion. Um, so I think when we met, we met at one of the uh, Georgia craft beer brewing associations, um, gatherings and it, it immediately was gripping to me and I knew we wanted to help out. Um, mainly because these stories are, are all too frequent. Um, not necessarily to the scale that happened with you, but, um, just in general, like, Hey, look, it's, it's a human trait to fall upon hard times or to have struggles. And there's really no safety net if you're not careful. Um, so I really love that idea. Um, for you, I'd like to talk about your, your scenario a little bit more. One of the things that I loved is that you didn't, you never stopped trying. And so, when I met you, it was similar. Like you, the tremors were there, the um, the the stutters. I could tell that you were struggling to find words, um, and it was heartbreaking because you know th- there's nothing worse than not being able to help someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet you kept on fighting. And how how did you go from the mentality of a victim to one that was a survivor, and then that next level, which is I'm not just surviving, I'm thriving. Um, were there things that were important to you in that journey? Um, were there tricks or like daily things that you did to keep you positive? Uh, any light you can shed on that? Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. Um, I remember the day I went from being a victim to being a survivor and it's all about mentality. Um, you can be one, you can be other, the other, you can be both at the same time. Uh, it's totally up to you. It, it, you're not you're not defined by your circumstances, uh, and so you can choose to either, you know, lay down and give up and live your way, live your life the the live the rest of your life that way, uh, or you can, and, and of course that would be a, a victim mentality. You know, why me? Um, you know, always the, the, the self, the self pity and, um, the depression and everything that, that comes along with that mentality. It's just, it sucks the life right out of you. There's no positivity mm-hmm. in that. Uh, and I remember laying in bed one day, you know, one of the symptoms that come with a brain injury is that 
you uh, had these uncontrollable bursts of crying. Uh, you, you don't know why. There's no specific reason as to why you start crying. Well, most of us have that just normally, just FYI. <laughs> and I was laying in bed just crying my eyes out. And it must have been for two hours one night. And I remember laying there and I thought to myself, look, I, I can either continue to live this way, live as a victim, continue crying, lay here in bed and die before I'm actually dead, or... I can get up and I can create a second life while still in the first and design it any way that I want to. Hmm. That's the path that I chose. And that's the path that I'm still on. And the day that I made that decision, everything switched for me. I started meeting the right people. Um, I started communicating the, the right people started introducing me to the right people. For example, our situation, um, you know, you and I had met, not too long after I decided I wanted to do this and I decided this was going to be the rest of my life. Uh, I can't hold a regular job anymore. Uh, you know, it's impossible. I'll, I'll go through these, these, uh, uh, episodes where I'll sleep for 48 hours straight. You know, nobody's going to keep me on, on, on board. If I'm, if I'm missing two days, two to four days every month. Yeah. So, uh, I, I showed up at the, the symposium, you know, I was bright eyed and bushy tailed and, and, and looking forward to the future. And, and still every day to this day, when I wake up, I'm, I, I still feel that way. Uh, and it's, it's all because of that, that switch, that, that mental pivot from going from, from being a survivor to going to becoming I'm sorry, from, from being a victim to becoming a survivor, it really just changes the dynamic of the way that you think, uh, and mm -hmm. the energy that you magnet, the, the energy that you bring towards yourself. Um, it's so true manifestation and, and, uh, thinking positively and, and expressing what you want and putting it out there. Even if you don't know exactly what you want, uh, think of how to get there. You right. Know, um, what, what is it going to take to get there? Uh, what do you have to do today to go out and, and, and change the world? And, and by changing just one person's world, you change their entire world. Therefore, you are changing. You are changing a world for somebody, uh, whether it's for somebody else or for yourself. Um, and so it, it, it was, a, it was all a mind frame thing. And when you say one thing that, uh, that you noticed about me was that I never stopped trying. That was because, uh, I bottle share gave me something to live for something mm. to strive towards, uh, something to be a survivor for, um, it's, it, I needed it. Uh, you know, not only am I helping other people, but bottle share is helping me on a daily basis as well. Uh, and I think that that's a pretty beautiful thing. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, I think we, we hear motivational speakers, um, or at least I do, I follow, uh, those kinds of accounts and it's easy to hear those people that are like, seem to be at the top of their game, talking to the rest of us, encouraging us on what to do next and how to get through tough times. But it still feels a bit obtuse because it's like, look, you're successful. It's easy for you to say that. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the latest one is Kim Kardashian basically telling people to get off their ass and work. Um, and it's like, <laughs> while you're not wrong, it's yeah. just, uh, <laughs> it's great advice. It's just who it's coming from. 
Right. And so, you know, it's easy to kind of like say, you know, bugger off. Um, but with you, like you're doing so well, let me just, let me on, honestly just say that. Like, I mean, you're, every time I talk to you, it's like night and day, which is amazing. Um, you know, but you didn't just say, I want to survive slash thrive for my own well-being. You found the motivation in helping others, which I think is just a unique a unique step. Most people find it within themselves to do better for themselves or maybe their immediate family. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were like, no, no, no. My, my path is to be the conduit to help people get through these kinds of times. Um, was there something that led you there? Was, was there a higher calling? Was it something that drew like just something inside of you or was it always there? And this just gave you the impetus to, to realize it. Um, I think, I think that it was always there. I think, but I didn't, I didn't, I did never recognized it before. I didn't know that that's what I was meant to do. Um, I remember, you know, times in my life where I was able to help somebody out. For example, um, this lady, uh, I was, I was cleaning up the, the sales center when I was in real estate and I ran by the dollar store to go pick up a bunch of, you know, trash bags and cleaning goods and stuff like that. There was this lady in front of me and she had this little girl that was with her, her daughter who was really young. I think she was like seven turning eight or eight turning nine or something like that. And she was so excited and she was bebopping around the store and she was picking out her, her gifts and she was getting ready for a party with all of her friends were coming. And, uh, I remember giving her a high five and telling her happy birthday cause she was just so excited. And, and they happened to be directly in front of me in line. Well, unfortunately the mother didn't have enough money to purchase the items that were in the cart. Hmm. And, uh, I remember her leaning down and, and kind of quietly asking her daughter, what, what were the, her first three favorite items that were in the cart? Because that's all that they could afford. Um, and I was like, ah, you know, no way is this going to happen right here in front of me. So I, I, I just stepped ahead and swiped my card and make sure that all of the items were paid for by them. And she just, first she said, no, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was like, look, family is the most important thing in my life. And today you're my family as well. So please let me do this for you guys. Um, you know, to see her reaction from that, to, to have her say, that's the nicest thing anybody's ever done. And her start crying. It made me cry. It made the little girl cry. I got a hug from the mom. I got a hug from the little girl on the leg. I got two awesome high fives. Nothing had ever made me feel better than that moment. You know, um, it filled my heart to be able to do something for somebody else and make their day or make their week or make their year. Even, you know, the little girl, she got to have her birthday that she wanted. Uh, and I thought that was a really special thing. And at the time I remember thinking, man, I gotta do, I gotta start doing more stuff for more people. Like, like this is amazing. What a wonderful feeling. But then of course, you know, life starts happening and you know, all of this, and it's no longer, it's no longer your daily goal. Right. Um, well now I get to live a life where my daily goal is who can I help today? What can I do? Who can I help today? And what can I do to help that person? Um, and I think it's really important that, that, uh, that I went through that experience because it gave me the appreciation for what I do now. You know, 
people were there for me, for me, the craft community community rallied behind me and really helped me out in my time of need. Um, and I'll be damned if that doesn't go to waste. You know, all I'm doing is reciprocating exactly, uh, what I received when I was down and out. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a big, uh, Christmas nerd. I love it. Like I, I just love the season of giving. I wish that I wish that mentality was all year round, honestly, because I think, yeah, there's always the stories about cra- people going crazy, like trying to break down the doors and get that hot toy or that crazy deal at Best Buy, whatever. But in general, the season is full of good you know, and it reminds people that even if it is just for these few weeks, you really should think of your fellow person more. And yeah. um, one of my favorite movies every year to watch is Scrooged with uh, <laughs> Bill Murray. Movie. Yeah. Yes. And his moment at the end of the movie is just so powerful because it's like, yeah, you, you can have that every day. It's yeah. a good feeling. It is a good and feeling. Why not? You know, like yesterday I was at the grocery store and I pulled a bag, a produce bag to, to put, I think it was like cabbage in or something like that. And the lady, there was a lady standing next to me and I was like, Oh, do you need a bag? She's like, yeah. And I was like, here you go. And you, you would have thought that I gave her a million bucks. Yeah. She was just like, thank you so much. I'm like, lady, it's just, it's just a bag, man. Like, I don't know what to tell you. like, it's not even my bag. Like, it's, you know, like, um, but you know, those, those micro, uh, opportunities just to do something just a little bit nice. I think, especially in this climate that has been fostered over the last, um, however many years where everybody feels so divided and isolated. It's just like a little smile, a little hello, handing someone a bag that you tore off for yourself, but you decided to give it to the person instead is just, it's just what people need. And I think we need to be Mm -hmm. doing more of that. And I love that bottle share has been created to do that on a more, um, you know, systematic scale. So let's talk about how it works a little bit. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase and then you can fill in the blanks, but essentially you, you create uh, relationships with breweries out there. You work together to create some sort of beer style. Um, and then you market the hell out of it and try to get people to buy a bunch of it. And then you use those proceeds to put into, um, a fund, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. So, and from there, you have some sort of rubric where you're able to grant this money out to those who need it most. Exactly. So to date, I know they're all your favorites, but <laughs> has there been one that is like, wow, man, that beer was just on point? Man, I tell you what, there's been a couple of them. Um, there's, there's been actually the majority of them have been awesome, and they're all so unique. That's one. Yeah. That's one reason that I, I love doing this because the brewers themselves are, are excited because it's a collaboration. It's something a little different from their day to day regular activities. And then on top of that, we get to be super creative in the adjuncts and the style and all of that. Um, but my my number one absolute favorite and don't tell any of these other guys <laughs> this is just between us but to this day my number one absolute favorite is called good love the good love yeah good love right there i did the lights kind of sh- killing it but 
That's for yeah, you. So guys. for for those that are listening, it's sort of like a retro throwback vibe with like three thick lines, blue, orange, or blue, red, and like kind of a yellow orange yes. with a nice chunky good love right in the center. And it's just a really cool retro vibe to it. I still want that on a hat, honestly. Yeah, I know. I want it on a t-shirt too. So this right here was a Berliner Weiss. Um, This is peach, fig, and pomegranate. And we used dry tea leaves Mm. to condition the the sour with. And when you open that can up and you take a sip, you know those those stores in the mall? What is it? Tivana? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They have like the trays with the little samples and you can come and take the sip of the little samples. And they're always so delicious. They've always got like the best flavors out on the, the, you know, the, the, um, what's the word? The sample tray. Yeah. 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 The sample tray. They've always got the best flavors out there. That's what this, that's what good love tastes like. Okay. It's amazing. That beer turned out so good. I wish I had an unlimited supply of it. Um, it, it, it was absolutely awesome. And then of course that's, you all designed this label for us. So that makes it even cooler. Uh, you know, cause we're, I I remember, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? We're short on time. And you were like, I've got you brother. Don't even worry about it. And the next thing I know, you come at me with good love and this right here. And I was like, Whoa! <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's definitely one of my favorite looks too i mean i do love the beignet one i thought that was pretty cool because we riffed off of an old school beignet packaging yeah um but there's definitely been some some real bangers uh and it's not just all ipas all the time no. so l- let's talk about the beer industry in general so like man it is saturated i don't even understand how beer like new breweries even begin to compete um at all like what what do you think is next for the beer industry um what's the post craft movement look like in your opinion mm. the way that i see it is um a uh a bridge the, a, a gap will be bridged between liquor and beer mm. i think that um as we continue to see more and more brew stilleries open up, we're going to see a lot more um, creative um, uh, collaboration between the two liquids, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we're going to see a lot more barrel-aged beers. I think we're going to see a lot more wine-inspired beers. I think we're mm. going to start seeing a lot of some liquors that are inspired by beer themselves, so vice versa. Um, and with the, with these breweries obtaining liquor licenses, that just gives them the freedom and provides them with the, um, the, 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 here I am searching for my words again, the, mm-hmm. the inspiration to, to continue to uh, expand, uh, you know, what it is that they offer. Uh, so right. I, uh, I really do think that we're going to start seeing a lot more uh, liquor beer combinations. Yeah, it's interesting to me to uh, you know outside, kind of outside looking in. Like we don't do a lot of beer work anymore, um, you know. But I've obviously seen local brands here, like New Realm. Well, I guess they're not so local; they're kind of regional now. That have uh, expanded into this distillery world as well. Some breweries are jumping onto the um, alcoholic seltzer train. As well, and I even yes. seen some breweries go to the non-alcoholic. Like there's a there's a brewery that we're going to have on the podcast upcoming um, called Athletic Brewing, and it's non-alcoholic beer, but it's banging. It is so good. It's so like, good, dude. I yeah. really, really want to collaborate with Athletic Brewing. 
Okay. I, well, side note, I'll try to connect you with them, but they're great. I met them on the West Coast. My they, God. Were, they were bang on. I was, I mean, I had a sip of their IPA and it was like drinking a regular IPA. There was nothing funky about it at all. Yeah. Um, however, you know, I also see these other paths too. Like I was just in Savannah this past weekend and we tasted mead. Haven't had mead in a while. It's a tasty treat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's that. And, and cider tried to have a go at like getting mass adoption. But it just doesn't seem like it's ever going to have the the heft that beer has. But even like brands like New Realm, it's like, yeah, you're opening up all these brew distilleries, as you called them, in a couple different locations. But are they really ever going to get the same heft that some of these other macro brewers have? And I think that's the goal if you have investors and you're trying to grow something. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's sort of like a ticking clock. Like, I mean, like how how long can a second self, which is a, a local craft brewer here, how long can they really sustain business just trying to churn out the next thing, trying to continue to stay on trend? It's almost as if they're clamoring mm-hmm. um, for more. I mean, it's got to be tough, right? It's yeah, it's got to be tough to be a brewery owner, especially when you first open it. You don't have any money, you don't have any capital. You've got a you're you're in a mound of debt right away. Uh, you know you're going to be working for years just to pay off that debt before you start getting money to pay something else off. Um, the way that I see a lot of these breweries right now, at least, is they're kind of taking over the neighborhood bar. Yeah. Um, People aren't going to the bar as often as they are to the brewery nowadays. Uh, They're more family friendly. uh, They're more community friendly. They're more community driven. Uh, There's always events. There's always something going on at the brewery, whether there's food trucks, live music, Mm -hmm. um, you know, beer pairings with Girl Scout cookies or something else that's creative and totally awesome next month as well. Uh, they, they, they stay on their toes to make sure to keep the people coming in. But once they build a strong community, that community really just simply continues to grow. Um, and, and those people from within that community start asking outside of those boundaries, hey, can, you know, for example, do you have any Tri-County Brewing Company beer? No? Mm-hmm. Well, will you order some? And then it continues to grow and grow and grow. Tri-County has it, has it good because they're right next to a, a, a college, you right. know, a university. So not only are the college students going to come in and drink, but when they all go back home after they're done, they're favorite beer, their favorite brewery is dry County. They're going to start asking for it, you know, wherever they are. Um, and so I, I see it as that I see as, as breweries becoming the local watering hole and the, you know, the entire community is rallying behind them. Yeah. It's interesting though. I mean, cause the local watering hole isn't really profitable as well. And one of the things, one of the issues I see with a lot of the breweries is they, they are underfunded and they don't value marketing and advertising and anything like that at all. And I know it's a blanket statement, but for the most part, you don't really see them advertising. You don't really see them trying to build that following because they don't have the funding or if they do, they want to spend it elsewhere. I think another issue that plagues it is my God, stop with the hot puns. Like it is so boring. (laughs) And there's no differentiation, you know, and, and I I think we really do as an industry need to move away from the, the good old boy, um, you know, kind of yucking it up and making a funny hot pun and slapping it on a label. Just, we got to get past that and we got to get into like, really take this serious. And I think those are the brains that are going to continue to rise and grow and really make a strong effort, you know, like, Scofflaw had a nail in the head with basement pog basement. They just crush it with that beer. Yeah. Um, and they still do. And they still do. And it's like, 
stop doing everything else and just really hammer that thing home, you know? <laughs> yeah. Although their dirty beaches are really good too. Dirty beaches are great. And so are their seltzers, man. I'm not a big seltzer fan, but their seltzers are good. Yeah. And so, but that's the thing is they keep on diversifying and they have the same problem that restaurants have. If you're not careful, you create such a suite of products that you have to keep up with that you actually start to become less effective at those products. You yeah. know, so it's the quantity versus quality. Exactly. And I think we need to go back to brands that have a strong focus. Like, hey, dude, we have these three beers. That's what we make. And yeah. we're just going to pound it home. We're going to spend all of our money and all of our time trying to get mass adoption, trying to get mass awareness, trying to get mass distribution around these three beers. Forget it. That's what I think the macros have done well that these haven't. I mean, Bud has Bud and Bud Light. You know, yeah. and they may have tried to color outside those lines, but look, it's Bud. It's Bud Light. Yeah. Or as I call it, Bud Heavy and Bud Light. But, <laughs> Bud um, Diesel. That's right. <laughs> so um, it, it'll be interesting to see like where the industry goes. And if you have some of those players actually see the writing on the wall and say, look, we have no business making seltzers. Let's get this back down. Let's get back to basics and really start to hammer home something really good. Yeah. Um, kind of like, you know, Sweetwater 420. Like, that's yeah, the beer. It's, you know? That's still one of my go-tos. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So what's your favorite beer of all time? Favorite beer of all time? Um I, I tell you what, let me, I just got a notification that my laptop's about to die. Let me plug it in real quick. The laptop will die. Does it run on beer, Christopher? Do you just fill up a tank full of IPA and the, the laptop just crushes it? No, but I do. <laughs> I love it. Um, I should play like on hold music while you do this. So... Favorite beer of all time. Favorite beer of all time has either got to be uh, Guinness or Sweetwater 420. The reason I say Guinness is because Guinness is Guinness no matter where you go. You can you can have a Guinness anywhere around the world, and it's going to taste exactly the same, right? They've got the consistency down perfectly. Um, it's also so long as they're pushing it through nitro lines. Correct. Exactly. Uh, and then local favorite beer. And by I mean local, I mean pretty much anywhere here in the in the United States, craft beer. Is, yeah. And you nailed it earlier. You said it, Sweetwater 420. That was my very first craft beer that I actually like thoroughly enjoyed and remember saying, okay, I'm going to start drinking craft beer now. Yeah, I love that. Yep. Yeah, for, for me, I think my favorite beer of all time um, is... It's called Dreamweaver is the, is the style of beer, and it's by Trogues Brewery up in Pennsylvania. It's just, it's a yummy beer, has notes of banana, caramel, clove. It's, mm. it's a, it's a, a wheat, a wheat beer. Very yeah, yummy, yeah. highly drinkable. Um, what, what about right now? What is your favorite beer right now? Um, let's see right now. Can I say Natterdays? Oh, who makes that? Nat, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> nat, nat, natty Light. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Natty Light. <laughs> natty, natty Light. <laughs> uh, right now, my that favorite is the best is, and worst. Right now, my favorite beer is our latest collaboration, and it's with Second Self. It's called Totally Tubular. It is a beermosa style sour IPA. Oh wow. Um, so we we use sour yeast. You know we've we've got a base IPA, 
Uh, then we conditioned it with peaches. Uh, mm. Big shout out to Aseptic Fruit Company, who is a supplier who donated 100% of all of the fruit that they used for this beer. Uh, which is really cool because now we're getting into suppliers uh, that mm -hmm. are donating. Uh, so on the back end, what we're doing is we're making as low cost of a beer as possible so that we can have the highest economic impact possible on, on the front end. Uh, so a lot of suppliers are starting to donate things, which is absolutely fantastic. I want to make, I want to be able to say that I can make a free beer one day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the only thing that you're going to have to pay for is your labor, your labor and your time, but everything else yep. is taken care of. Um, and then of course it's, it's a big fat check at the end. Once all of the beer is sold and then chop, 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 we divide that check up and we send it out to the people that, that need it. Um, I love it. But back to my favorite beer of right now, it's definitely totally tubular. Uh, I love the, the blending of the, the sour and the IPA. There's, Two, two of my favorite beers, and if you can put them together and make it taste good, then I'm going to absolutely love it. Um, it's light. It's refreshing. The peach is right on. The sour is right on. The IPA is right on. It's not too heavy on anything, uh, but it's well-balanced between all of them. That's fantastic. Yeah. So everyone You're try fantastic. to find that locally where you can. Um, obviously, it's here in Atlanta. Um, it is. But yeah, in every purchase, it helps fuel that fund, which then gets out to people who really need it within the industry. People yep. like Christopher, um, who went through such a horrible, horrible situation, <laughs> uh, but is absolutely thriving and crushing it. Yes. Um, so hell yeah, man. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for hopping on the show. And uh, until next time. Man, thank you so much for having me, Ghostbusters. I can't tell you how much it means to me. If you love what we served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.